Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, tonight I am going to open with a joke and I'm going to close with a story. Let me start off by telling you a joke. There were three men and they found themselves on a desert island for several months. And there was no food, no water, no shelter, just these three friends on a deserted island. And one day they were walking along the beach and they found a lamp that washed up on the beach. And they run and they grab the lamp and they start dusting it off and getting the sand and all the dirt off. And as they're rubbing the lamp, all of a sudden a genie comes out. And the genie says, because you have set me free from my captivity, I will grant you three wishes. And because there's three of you, you each get one wish. So whatever you want in the world, it's yours. But make sure that you choose carefully because you only get one wish. So he goes to the first guy and he says, what would you wish for? And he thinks about it for a sec. And he says, well, you know, I've been on this island for a while. And, you know, I'd really like to be back in my office at work. And then all of a sudden, poof, the man, he was back in his office at work. And then he goes and he asks the other man, he says, you get one wish, choose carefully, what would it be? And he says, you know, I've been on this island for a while and I, I would like to be eating dinner with my family. And then poof, he was at home eating dinner with his family. And he turns to the next man and says, you get one wish, the last wish, you need to make it count. So the guy, he thinks about it for a second. He's like, get one wish. Get one wish. What, what would it be? And he tells the genie, he says, you know what? I've been on this island for a while. And since my friends are gone, I've become pretty lonely. And so I would like to be with my friends. And then in a moment, boom, both friends back on the island. <laughs> I tell you that because today the sermon title is called Wisdom for Friends. And just like those guys, some of you, you need some wisdom when it comes to who you are friends with. And that's a totally stupid, corny, cheesy joke, and I probably shouldn't have told you that, especially to start off this sermon. I remember yesterday, me and my wife, we were driving, and I said, hey, Ashley, here's how I'm going to start this sermon. I'm going to tell, tell this joke. And she said, Byron, that's a terrible joke. You, you cannot start your sermon like that. That's not even funny. Nobody's going to take you seriously. Because, I mean, when you come to redemption, normally the way I open a sermon is like, Satan is real, demons are real, hell is real, and one day you're going to die. And then you come and you hear this, and you're like, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, what happened to my pastor? How did he start the sermon? She was like, Byron, you cannot start your sermon with that joke. And I said, well, I have to make him laugh somehow because the next thing I'm going to tell him is going to make him really sad because here's my real opener. Research has found that the average American only has one friend. Total bummer, isn't it? See, think about it like this, that there's 8 billion people on the planet and only one of them wants to be your friend. Research has shown that the average American has one friend. This comes from the American Sociological Study. It came out last year, and what it shows is that, that in America, we are becoming more isolated, more disconnected, and more lonely than we've ever been in the history of our nation. You would think that with social media and technology and Facebook and Instagram and at work and even here in the church, that we'd be more connected, that we'd be the most connected, but what so research is showing is that we're constantly, continually being disconnected and that most of us, we feel exactly like that guy on the island, that we are alone and we're looking around and we're wondering where our friends are. 
And this has massive implications, not only for the way that we live, but also for who we are as a church. Because that means that every single Sunday, people are walking through our doors and they feel lonely. Just think about it. Our church, we run about 300 people on the Sunday between three services, and that means every single Sunday, someone is getting up in the morning or in the evening, and they're brushing their teeth, and they're wrestling with their kids, and they're making plans, and they're drinking their coffee, and they're driving down the road. They come downtown, find a parking space. They walk in. They check their kids in. They sit in these chairs. They raise their hands for worship. They listen to the sermon, come forward, take communion, get a prayer team, and then they go home, and they feel totally alone. And this is tragic for us because as a church, we should be the one place where people go to where they can understand what real, true, authentic community and genuine friendship looks like. And the truth is the church is not doing well when it comes to this aspect. See, in the church, we talk a lot about theology, but we don't really talk a lot about friendship. In the church, we talk a lot about doctrine, but we don't really talk a lot about friendship. And I was praying about it and thinking about it this week. And I have about 500 books in my library at home. And as I was preparing and I was going through it, what I realized is I have books on the ontological subordinationism with the Trinity, but I don't have books on friendship. I was thinking about it. I can explain to you the penal substitutionary atonement where Jesus goes to the cross in our place, where he dies the death that we deserve and that he receives the full weight of God's wrath on him so that way we can receive grace that comes only through him. But we don't talk a lot about friendship. I mean, I can explain to you eschatology, how Jesus is going to return one day. He's going to take the church home with him. He's going to right all wrongs, wipe away every single tear. And there's going to be the renewal of all things with the resurrection of the dead. And we're going to be with him in a new heavens, new earth with new body. But we don't really talk a lot about friendship. I can explain to you expositional preaching and how we're supposed to preach the word according to what Paul tells Timothy. And we can preach the word and we can preach great sermons and we have great theology, we have great doctrine, but you know what we don't have? We don't really have great friendships. And this really is tragic, especially in the church, because the church should be a place where people can come to learn what a true, genuine friendship actually looks like. Because when you think about it, the Bible, it really is a book all about friendship. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, one of the major themes in this book is about friendship, how we can become friends with God and how through God we can have friendship with one another. I mean, let's just do a survey of the entire Bible. Okay, it starts in Genesis. That's the book of the beginnings. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God. Let's just think about that for a sec. In the beginning, God. Before the beginning. That means before there was a beginning, just a little bit before that, there was God. That God exists eternal, outside of time, space, matter, energy, all of those things. God exists in what is known as the doctrine of the Trinity. Something there's mutual beliefs. There's one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And within the Trinity, there's mutual love, respect, adoration, conversation, community. Ultimately, the Trinity is a friendship. That God the Father is friends with God the Son. God the Son is friends with God the Spirit. God the Spirit is friends with God the Father and the Spirit and the Son. There is a friendship within the Trinity. And some people would say that God made man because he was lonely. Like God was up in heaven saying, I really wish somebody would love me. That's not true because God is perfectly satisfied within himself. He is not dependent upon anyone. He's not wondering what you're thinking or if you're going to be with him. No, he, he's perfectly satisfied within himself. And God made us because he wants to share that friendship with us. 
And so God, he made mankind. Genesis 1 through 2 and 3, we see the, the making or creation of mankind, that God made everything in this world that we see. God made the plants and the trees and the stars and the moon. He, he made the rivers and the oceans and the valleys. He made the mountains. He made the animals. And then he made man. He said, out of everything I made, there's one thing that alone. And so God made a woman, Eve, to be the helpmate, to be the friend for Adam, because it's not good for him to be alone. Adam's going to need a friend. So those of you who are married, okay, go ahead and put your arm around your spouse, because your spouse is to be your first friend. Your spouse is to be your best friend. The first friendship was really that of a marriage. And if you think about it, this is one of the things that totally differentiates humanity or mankind from everything else in the world, because plants don't need friends. Okay, trees don't need friends. Mountains, rivers, stars, moons don't need friends. Animals don't need friends. And some of you are thinking, oh, but my dog is my, my best friend. Okay, no, your dog is furry and licks himself. That's not what friends are supposed to do. <laughs> Dogs existed for thousands of years before we neutered them and domesticated them and started calling them Fido. That's not what a friend is. A friend is someone that you can share your life with. And Adam needed someone to be a friend. And so God made him a friend in Eve. And what we see is even in the very beginning, friendship was the, was the goal of what God designed us for, that we were designed to be friends with God. And we were also designed to be friends with one another. That, that this is one of the big themes, and even in the beginning of the scriptures, it's really this idea of friendship, that God would walk with them, God would talk with them, God would spend time with them, that God was with them in the garden. You think, Byron, that's amazing, that sounds awesome, that they were friends with God, and they were friends with each other, and there was no problems, and everything was perfect, and everything is peaceful. What happened? The friendship really only lasted three chapters. Like we didn't make it very far in this book before everything began to fall apart. Three chapters, that's all it took for sin to enter into the world. One big problem that causes all of the problems in our life and that is sin. Sin is the problem for everything. It's the reason for war, injustice, famine, plagues, violence. It's the reason for friendship strains. It's the reason for difficulties in your marriage. It's the reason for pain and hardship with coworkers or with classmates. It's the reason for the problems that you have within your friendship. The answer to the problems that we experience ultimately is sin. And here's what you need to know. That sin is not just the breaking of a law. Sin is also the breaking of a friendship. Sin is not just the breaking of a law. Sin is also the breaking of a friendship. Have you ever had somebody sin against you? What happens? The friendship falls apart. Has anybody ever lied about you, cheated on you, stabbed you in the back, gossiped about you? Anybody ever disrespect you, let you down, disappoint you? What happens? It, it breaks the friendship because sin is not just the breaking of a law, but sin is also the breaking of a friendship. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the friendship with God was broken. They were separated from God, but also they were separated from one another that they couldn't be in the relationship together because now there was sin, now there was guilt, now there was shame, now there was condemnation in their life and their relationship began to fall apart. Sin robs you of relationship with God and it also robs you with relationship with one another. That it's not just a breaking of a law, it's a breaking of a friendship. And so what does God do in response to this? Do you think God just says, well, that's your choice, that's your decision, you go live your own life, you made your bed, you can go ahead and lay in it, that's you, that's all on you, I'm going to be over here, you go over there, I want nothing to do with you. Do you think that's what God did? That's not what God did. Here's what God does instead, God pursues after them. 
that God comes running towards them, that God comes chasing after them. God comes to bring reconciliation towards them. He goes and he says, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? Where are you hiding? What are you doing? And they come before him and they admit that what they did was wrong. The friendship was broken. And here's what God does. God brings them close. And God, he makes a promise to them. In Genesis chapter three, we see this promise. It's what's known as the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel. And what God says is that from the seed of a woman would come one who would bring reconciliation both to God and with one another. And God makes them a promise. And he sends them out. And, and he sends them out with this promise of friendship. And we see this carry on through the rest of the Bible. We see it in the book of Genesis chapter 9 with a man named Abraham who becomes the father of the nation of Israel. And here's what it says, that Abraham found favor. That word is the Hebrew word for grace. And it says that Abraham was a friend of God. It moves forward into the book of Exodus, wherever God raises up a man named Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt and the wicked Pharaoh. And in Exodus 33, as he's going through the wilderness, he goes on top of the mountain, receives the commandments from the Lord. And here's what it says, that God met with Moses face to face like a friend. And then we see it again in the Psalms, a man named David, who was a worshiper and a murderer. He was a man after God's own heart, but he was also an adulterer. He got a woman pregnant, had a baby, and his name was Solomon. And Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and he grew up watching his dad. And here's what Psalm says, that a covenant with God is a friendship with God. Because David, he was a, a friend of God. See, the Old Testament really is building towards this idea of a reconciled friendship with God and with one another. And then the fullness of the promise comes. His name is Jesus. He's God become a flesh, entered into this world. He comes and he lives the life and he comes to show us what friendship with God looks like. He comes to reconcile God and man with one another. He's come preaching, teaching, healing, performing miracles, casting out demons, revealing the kingdom of God, revealing the father heart of God. He comes to reveal God as a friend. And the first thing that Jesus does in his life is he calls 12 men to come and be his friends. I think that's so amazing that Jesus is God in the flesh and he needed friends. If Jesus needed friends, how much more do you need friends for your life? Jesus knew life is gonna be hard. Life is gonna be difficult. He knew that he was gonna be lied about, cheated on, spit on. He knew that he was gonna be ridiculed, rejected. He knew that he was gonna be crucified. He knew that he was gonna be beaten, mocked, murdered. And he knew that he, if he wanted to do the things that God called him to do, he was gonna need some friends in his life to pour into, to teach, to train, to one day hand off his church to be with them. And Jesus, he had friends in his life. And Jesus goes to the cross. He's taken off the cross. He's buried in the grave for three days. He resurrects. He ministers to 500 people for 40 days. Those are some friends of his. And then he ascends up to the right hand of the Father where he sends the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter two, the local church, it explodes with 3,000 people getting saved in one single day. And if you read through the book of Acts, it's a story of friendship. It's a story of friendship between the apostles as they go and plant churches. But more than that, it's a story of friendship between the Holy Spirit and the local church. How the Holy Spirit is encouraging, blessing, building. How the Holy Spirit is continuing to encourage and say, move on, let's keep going, let's keep moving forward. It's a friendship between the Holy Spirit and the local church. But then if you jump forward to the book of Revelation, when everything is unfolded, it's the end of human history, and Jesus returns, and he builds his kingdom, and he invites you in. In the last pages of the Bible, what you see is this, that Jesus prepares a table, and he sits down, and guess who's eating with him at this 
It's all of his friends. It's you, it's me, it's everyone who has trusted in him now sits at a table with Jesus, just like God always intended, friendship with God and friendship with one another. Just like it was in the garden, it's gonna be when we get to heaven that there's a friendship with God, there's a reconciled relationship with God, and there's also a reconciled relationship with one another. The entire Bible really is a story about friendship. And this is why it should be so important for us as a church, for us to be able to understand this, that one of the major themes of the scriptures is for us as friendship. And what I find interesting is if you open your Bible to the very middle, from Genesis to Revelation, in the very middle, there's a book called Proverbs. See, God thought it was so important that not only did he put it at the beginning and not only did he put it at the end, but God also put it right here in the middle because this is something that should be important for us. Because every single Sunday, people are walking in these doors and they're wanting to know, is this a place that I'm welcome? Is this a place that I'm loved? Is this a place where I can experience life change through Jesus with these people? Is this a place where I can experience wisdom for my friendships? And Proverbs is a book of the Bible that really is all about wisdom for friendships. It's got a lot of wisdom for us. And it's important because here's what Proverbs 13, 20 says when it comes to our our friends. Here's what it says. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Okay, just think about it like this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Okay, so if you want to get wisdom, which is the major theme of Proverbs, then you need to walk with the people who are wise. If you want to grow, if you want to mature, if you want to nourish, if you want to flourish, if you want to experience life change through Jesus, if you want to get wisdom, then you need to walk with those people who are wise. But the companion of fools suffers harm. If you don't walk with the wise, but if you walk with fools, then your life is going to be difficult. Your life is going to be a challenge. Your life is going to struggle. And Proverbs says that you will suffer harm. Let me say it another way. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. The people you hang out with, the people you associate with, the people in your life that you give your time and your energy and your effort to, they will develop your future self. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. There's two paths to life. There's the path to wisdom and there's the path to foolishness. And this is why it's so important because whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But whoever walks with fools eventually will suffer harm in their life. And so Proverbs is a book all about wisdom or foolishness. And really, honestly, the truth, the choice is yours. So you need to be careful about who you choose to be your friend. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you three things today. He talks about foolish friends, wise friends, and then we're going to talk about true friends, okay? The first people we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about foolish friends. How many of you in the room, you have some foolish friends? Got some foolish friends? Okay, good, good. Thank you all for being honest. Here's what Proverbs says. The one who has companion of fools is a fool. So thank you for raising your hand. You just admitted you're a fool. Why? Because if you hang out with fools, that means you're a fool. So welcome to redemption. We love you. We're glad you're here. This sermon's just for you. But here's what you need to understand. Right? When we're preaching through this sermon, I don't want you to think, oh, I'm so glad they're here. They really need this sermon. I don't want you to think, oh, I'm glad my community group's here because woo, they need a lot of wisdom. Oh, it's so nice he's here. This sermon's just for him. I'm glad my husband's here. He needs a lot of wisdom. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. See, what happens is we need to understand this. The Bible is first a mirror before it's a magnifying glass. 
The Bible is a mirror before it's a magnifying glass. See, what we want to do is we want to see it like a magnifying glass. Look at their problems and look at their problems and look at that fool over there and look at that person. Oh my God, look at them. No, 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 look at you. The Bible is to be a mirror before it's a magnifying glass. Before you start looking at them, just so you know, I'm talking about you. Okay, because to be honest, we've all been foolish friends. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start off by talking about the foolish friends. And it's the 5.30, and so I'm feeling a little spunky, so I thought, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna call you guys out by name. Okay, welcome to redemption. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna call you out by name. I love you, and so here we go. Okay, the first foolish friend sitting right back there. Good time, Tim. We don't have anybody at church named Tim. You, you thought I was really going to do it, didn't you? You're like, oh my God, is he fixing to call us out by name? I'm a visitor here. This is so awkward. Uh, I'm just messing. I'm just messing. But if you are convicted, that's between you and the ghost. Don't email me. Don't email me. The first friend we have is this. Good time, Tim. Here's what Solomon says. He says, the poor is disliked even by his neighbors. Ouch. But the rich man has many friends. Now, on the surface, you think, Solomon, that's so mean. You can't say that about poor people. We love poor people. It's the rich people. Oh, rich people, they're all the problem, right? We love the poor people. Blame the rich, right? We need to vote Solomon out of office. He can't say that about poor people. That's actually not what he's saying. Okay, here's what he means. When you're poor, nobody lines up at your house to get your autograph, right? But when you're rich, oh, man, where did all these friends come from? You ever notice it in your life when everything's going great, people just keep showing up, right? You get a promotion, people are like, hey, great job on the raise. You want to go to Luke's? You're buying, right? In your life, you, you notice that when things are successful, when you're popular, when you're prominent, when you get a promotion, all of a sudden, everybody starts showing up around you, and they're like, hey, things are going great. It's good to be your friend. This is my buddy. This is my pal. When we go and party it, right? That's good time, Tim. Good time Tim shows up when everything's good, but the moment things go bad, he's gone. Why? Because he wasn't really your friend. He was nothing more than a fool. This is what the Puritans used to call the swallow friends. They would fly in during the summer when everything's going great, but then winter comes, they're gone. Why? Because they're not real friends. They're foolish friends. And here's what good time Tim does, right? As soon as something goes wrong, you see him and he's like, he's like hey, how's it going? And you're like, well, actually, you know, me and my wife, we've been fighting a lot. We were like, oh, really? This just got serious. I didn't think we were really going to talk about real things. <laughs> oh, I lost my job. Wow, that's awkward. I'll pray for you over there. Okay. But then the moment things pick up again, they're like, oh, hey, buddy, good to see you. I, I prayed about it and I feel called to be your friend again. All right? That's good time Tim. Don't be friends with good time Tim because he's nothing more than a fool. He doesn't really love you. He doesn't really care about you. He's just there for a good time. And the moment things go bad, he's gone. It's good time Tim. He's not a friend. The next friend we meet is this, Gossiping Gary. Now, I know in our church we've never met Gary, but some of you might know Gary, but don't tell him I said this because if Gary hears this, he's going to go tell everybody else. So don't tell Gary I'm talking about him, but here's what Solomon says about Gossiping Gary, Proverbs 16, 27 through 28. A worthless man plots evil, Okay, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisper separates close friends. Some people don't love you. They just love talking about you. 
Some people don't like hearing your problems. They really like hearing your problems, if you know what I mean. Because anything you tell them, they're going to take it and they're going to go tell somebody else. Here's what Solomon says, that for gossiping Gary, his speech is like a scorching fire ready to be spread. He's like an unlit match just waiting for you to light him. And your secret's like gasoline, and then the forest is a fire waiting to be spread. His tongue is hell, and gossip is the flame. And he's just waiting to tell your story. He's waiting to tell your news. He's waiting to spread whatever it is that you tell him. Don't talk to gossiping Gary because he's not really a friend. He's actually a fool. Right? You tell him something in confidence, he's going to take it, he's going to tell other people. You tell him a secret, you tell him something about your life and your struggle and something you're walking through, and he's like, ooh, this is very juicy and good. I can't wait to go tell people. Right? That's gossiping Gary. Now, I know in the church, we don't have gossiping Garys. In the church, we don't have people who would do this, right? I mean, we don't gossip in the church. No, we have prayer requests. Yeah. <laughs> and what we do is we have prayer requests. And we say, oh, I was talking to sister so-and-so the other day, and you know what? I heard she lost her job. I heard that her kids were crazy. I heard her and her husband are fighting. I need to go tell my community group. I need to go. I need to start a prayer chain. We're going to send an email. We're going to post it in the connect page. Oh, I'm going to go hang out with them. And I'm just going to ask for some prayer. And I'm just going to say, sister, so-and-so needs prayer. We need to get together. We need to have a little prayer meeting. We need to be prayer warriors. You're a friendship destroyer. That's what it does. It destroys reputations. It destroys relationships. And ultimately, it destroys friendships. When somebody comes to you and say, I got some good news, you're like, well, if it didn't come from them, I don't want to hear it. It's not my business. It's not my story. It's not your story to tell. And one of the things that I do is this. Sometimes I take a little secret and I I tell somebody, I shouldn't tell you all this, but I tell somebody and then I, I wait to see how it spreads so I can know who I can trust. And if it gets back to me, I know, oh, that's where the leak's at. That's Gossip Gary. And I know if I can trust that person. You need to be wise with who you talk to, who you share with, because some people, they're like a fire waiting to be spread. Anybody convicted yet? Okay, yep. We still got like 16 more points to go. It's gonna gonna get better or worse, depending on who you are. Clingy Carol! Clingy Carol, Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. That's pretty, that's a clingy carol. Okay, here's what he's saying. He's saying this. He's saying, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. How many of you ever met clingy carol? Anybody met clingy carol? You're like, no, I've never met clingy carol. Me, me and my friends, we're best friends. We're BFF. I have never had a bad day. We get mimosas on Saturday. We go get brunch. We talk all the time. Me and my friends, we're the best friends in the entire world. Have you ever met clingy carol? If not, your name is carol. You're clingy Carol. You're like, my friends are amazing. They're like, Carol, calm down, chill out. Right, here's what he's saying. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. You can come to my community group, but be on time, leave on time. You're not an hour early and you ain't spending the night. Right, you can, you, you can text me, go ahead, fine, text me, but don't blow my phone up and they get mad that I didn't call you on my lunch break. Clingy Carol, cool down, chill out. It's gonna be okay. Some people are like clingy Carol and here's what you need to know about Carol is that she doesn't respect your boundaries. If a person doesn't respect your boundaries, they will not respect your friendship. 
Some people, they don't respect boundaries. They're like, oh, y'all are going out to dinner? Where are we going? Oh, you're, ha- you're having people over? What time? Are we, what time am I coming over? Oh, you're, you're go- what are you having for dinner tonight? Oh, you're going on a trip? Where are we going? We're going crazy, and your foot's on the pedal. Right? It's your fault. You're driving. You got the steering wheel. I'm jumping out of the car. Clingy Carol, leave me alone. I love you in very small doses. I love you like this much over there. Please just back away. Carol, calm down. Here's what you know. If people don't respect your boundaries, they will not respect your friendships. Hey, Clingy Carol is a foolish friend. The next friend we meet is this. We meet angry Andy. Angry Andy. Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. In just a moment, we're going to talk about angry Andy, but there's this one little word right here. It says, nor go with a wrathful man. Now, when I read that, here's what I think. I think about dating. Okay, ladies, do not go with a angry Andy. Don't go there, don't go with them. And if a man ever raises his voice, raises his hand while you're dating, you can better believe he's not gonna get any better. If he treats you like that before you're married, it's gonna be bad for you because when you're dating a guy, he's on his best behavior. It's not gonna get better. In fact, it's gonna get worse. If he ever raises his voice, raises his hand, if he's ever cursing you out, speaking ill of you, degrading you, just dump him. If you're here right now, angry Andy, she's breaking up with you tonight. (laughs) And you can come forward for prayer and we'll lay hands on you and the church will deal with you. And then the Lord can deal with you, but angry Andy, come on, these girls are way too precious for your attitude. Okay, girls, if you're dating an angry Andy, just, 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 just break up with them. I'll give you a minute. We good? Okay, great. Because here's the deal. Angry Andy, the more you hang out with them, the more you'll become just like them. He says, don't go with a wrathful man. Why? Because you're going to be entangled in a snare. Some people are like a grenade with the pin pulled. Some people are just teetering between chaos and conflict. And everything you say, everything you do is always going to end up in a fight. Some people, they just love to complain. Right? I mean, everything's just a problem. The whole world is against them. Everything's an argument. Everything's a fight. They're angry and they complain about everything. Right? Some people, they just love to be offended. Some people, if you're looking for a fight, guess what? You're always going to find a fight. If you're looking for a reason to get in an argument, you're always going to get in an argument. Some people, they just love to complain. It could be 72, sunshiny. You're driving down the road with the top down, and they'll be mad because there's not enough clouds. They'll say, where'd all the clouds go? I can't believe this day. It's a terrible day. Look at all the clouds. It's a conspiracy. It's global warming. You had one job, Obama. I can't believe how you ruined this. And then they just get angry. If you hang out with people who are angry, guess what? You're going to be angry. If you hang out with people who have a bad attitude, guess what? You're going to have a bad attitude. If you're always hanging around people who are just negative, then in your life, you're always going to be negative because you become just like those that you hang around with. If you hang out with angry Andy, you're going to become just like angry Andy. You're going to get entangled in a snare, and it's not going to end well. Proverbs warns you about foolish friends. The next one we meet is this. Drunk Dave. Some of y'all went to college with them. Proverbs 23, 20, and 22. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meats. You're like, wow, I'm not a drunk. It's craft beer. It's a hobby. (laughs) 
You're like gluttonous eaters of meat. Does that mean bacon? I, I, craft beer and bacon. I'm not a drunk. I'm a hipster. That's what I am. No, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meats. And then he goes on and he says this. He says that they will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Drunk Dave does not make good decisions. Okay, when I was trying to figure out who Drunk Dave was, I wanted to call him Dude Bro Dave because that's just kind of what I see. What I see is a guy in camouflage cargo shorts wearing affliction shirt, spiky hair at Dixie going YOLO. Like that's, that's who I see. Don't hang out with Dude Bro Dave, Drunk Dave, because he does not make good decisions. It's not going to end well for you. Okay, my grandma, she used to say this. If you lay down with dogs, you get, if you hang out with Drunk Dave, you get felonies. Okay, that's, that's what happens. It's not going to end well. Drunk Dave does not make good decisions. You're like, he's fun until you get a felony. He's fun. Yeah, but you know what? The hangover's pretty bad, and it's really awkward when your friends are, you know, screenshotting your Snapchats and sending it back, and you're all covered in Sharpie from the night before. That's just not fun. Don't hang out with Drunk Dave. And here's another reason why, because alcoholism is a demon. Alcoholism destroys families, destroys legacies, and if you drink to the point where you get drunk over and over and over and over again, there's two ways you'll end up, in jail or dead. It's not even worth it. Now, is drinking alcohol sin? No. Is getting drunk and ordering everything from Taco Bell, calling it fourth meal a sin? Yes. Text you, go there. It's just not worth it. Don't hang out with Drunk Dave. Next time he texts you, he's like, hey, we're going to Dixie. Say, you know what? I'm going to read a book because I like my brain cells and I want wisdom. Don't hang out with Drunk Dave. And the next guy we meet is this. <laughs> we meet clueless Kathy. Kathy, Kathy. Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. How many of you, you are morning people? Ain't getting morning people? That's right, it's the 5.30. Y'all don't even wake up till noon, right? I mean, the morning people. Okay, just hypothetically, for those of you who are morning people, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Okay, <laughs> morning people, just so you know, everybody else hates you. Okay. That's what he says. He says, the one who blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. Okay, everybody else hates you, right? But I'm right there with you. I, I feel you. I, I feel you because I'm a morning person, right? I woke up at 4.30 this morning. I woke up. I read my Proverbs for the day. I started working a little bit more on my sermon. I ran three miles, drank two cups of coffee, came up here before everybody else and spent some time in prayer. Like, I am a morning person. Here's what happens when I wake up. I wake up like this. Rise and shine. Give God the glory. It's going to be a great day. I think mean, it's going to be an amazing day. I wonder what miracles God's going to do in my life today. I wonder where the Holy Spirit's going to lead me today. I wonder what, what God's going to show me today. Ashley, wake up. And she's like, Byron, just leave. Just go. Just go. Just go. So those of you like me, clueless Kathy, morning people, okay, here's what you need to know. Some people are not Christians until two cups of coffee. Just, just go ahead, file that away. Okay, here, here's, why, here's why this is important. Because we need to be aware of our surroundings. We need to be aware that some people are not on our level. We need to be aware that some people don't feel the same way that we feel. 
And we need to be aware that some people are suffering, some people are hurting, and some people just need caffeine. We just need to get that under control. Okay, clueless Kathy, be aware about what other people are going through in life. And then the last person we meet is this. The last foolish friend we meet, his name is Religious Ralph. Did you know that, did you know that they had religious people in Solomon's day? They were very serious. They were very devoted. They didn't laugh in church. They took it very serious because they were religious and their name was Ralph. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off his garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. You got a heavy heart? Come here. He's a good, good father. <laughs> let me sing oceans for you, right? You got a heavy heart? Let me just, let me just sing you a song. He's like someone who sings a song to a, a heavy heart. It's like somebody who, who takes off their garment on a cold day. It's like vinegar on soda. Religious Ralph, he has a bumper sticker and a Bible verse for everything, right? He's like, oh, you come here, right? You know what they say, when God closes a door, he opens a window. That's not even in the Bible. God will never give you more than you can handle. Okay, right now it feels like you're just quoting something Zig Ziglar said to me. I don't think that's the way that this, this works. He's got a Bible verse and a bumper sticker. Oh, you're suffering? Oh, well, you should consider it pure joy, my brother, when you are going through various trials in your life. Oh, man, life is so hard. Jesus says in this world you will have trouble. That's a promise. Okay, yeah, but that's not helping me. He's got a Bible verse and a bumper sticker for everything. And then they say things like this. Well, have you considered, I don't know, praying about it. Maybe you have unrepentant sin in your life. Maybe it's because you don't read your Bible enough. Maybe it's because you didn't pray about it. Come here. Let me anoint you with oil. I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm like, buddy, I'm about to lay hands on you. If you don't knock it off, they're about to have to pray for you. You're about to have to believe in the resurrection of the dead when I finish with you, buddy, because you're religious. Ralph, you're not helping. Because here's the point. When you're suffering, you don't need a syllogism. You need somebody to sit with you. When you're hurting, you don't need a lecture. You need faith. When you're hurting, you need a friend. And religious Ralph is not a friend. Religious Ralph is just a fool. Proverbs tells us a lot about foolish friends. And sometimes as you're hearing this, what you're thinking, you're thinking, but Byron, Pastor Byron, why would you say that? I mean, these people, you're calling them fools. These people, they are precious they are made in the image and likeness of God. They are equal of dignity and value and respect. And if we don't reach them, then who's going to reach them? Maybe I can change them. No, life change comes through Jesus, not through you, Sally. Right? You need to let Jesus take care of them. You need to let Jesus do the hard work in their heart. You need to let Jesus do it. Jesus handle it because you can't do it on your own. And I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that you can't be a witness. But you don't need to be a willing participant. I'm not saying that you can't work with them. So don't hear this and don't, don't go to work and say, well, boss, Pastor Byron said you were a fool. And if I hang out with you, then my life is not going to go good. So I'm going to quit this job. Don't go to your community group and say, guys, this is my last night. Because we've been studying Proverbs about wisdom for life. And y'all are the companion of fools. I, I can't do that. You can't, you can't do that. Don't go there. Don't do that. Because remember, it's a mirror before it's a magnifying glass. And so here's, here's what you need to do. You need to, you need to think about it. You need to consider it. I'm not saying you can't work with them. I'm not saying you can't hang out with them. I'm not saying that you can't 
be a witness, but you don't want to be a willing participant. Why? Because your future is far too important for you to waste on foolish friends. That God has saved you for a reason. God has made you for a purpose. That God has chosen you. He has destined you. He has a plan for you. He saved you. He's working through you for a purpose in your life. And if you want to discover the purpose that God has for you, it's not going to be found with foolish friends. If you want to discover the reason that God has for you, it's not going to be found with foolish friends. If you want your marriage to flourish, if you want your friendships to grow, it's not going to be found with foolish friends. Your future is far too important for you to waste with foolish friends. Because the one who walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools, they suffer harm. The choice is for you to make. So he starts off by showing us foolish friends, which then leads us into wise friends. We want to have wise friends. So what is a wise friend? The book of Proverbs really is a book all about friendship, and it's one of the first things that we learned when we were a little kid, right? Those of your parents, you, you teach your children how to make friends, how to be friends. It's one of the first things we teach our little kids, but when we become adults, it's one of the hardest lessons for us to live out because Proverbs really is a book written from a father to a son saying, hey, this is how you make friends. I still remember the first friend I ever made in my life. His name was Jonathan Kellis, Right, we were in kindergarten, first day of school, and community Christian school, Miss Wagner's class. And my last name's Ellis, his last name's Kellis. When they put our lunch boxes next to each other, we thought we were brothers. <laughs> and we're like, we're brothers. And we were friends all throughout school, elementary, junior high, high school. He's still a person that I, I talk to. I, I, I like him a lot. We hang out still sometimes to time. He's a great guy. He's a great man. But as we got older, our friendships began to fade. That, you know, he went to college and I joined a punk band. I got married. He got a job. I went into ministry. And over time, as we got older and older, our friendship began to fade. But you know what? That's okay. It's okay. Some people come in your life for a season and some people are friends for life. And that's okay. You need to be okay with friends coming and going from your life. Some people are there for a season. Some people are there or for a lifetime. But either way, we need to understand what a true friend is. And so what I want to do is I want to spell out friendship for you because we need wisdom when it comes to friendship. So I want to spell out friendship. What is a friend? Who is a friend? What do we look for? D, looking for wise friends. Well, we're going to spell it out. Here we go. F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Friends. Can you spell that out? F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Friends. You're like, Byron, I got wisdom for friends now. I get it. Praise the Lord. Here's what it says. First thing we need to know is this. Wisdom for friends is the F means a faithful friend. Here's what Proverbs says. He says, a man of many companions may come to a ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You don't get to choose your family, but you do get to choose your friends. So you need to choose carefully. Right? God chooses your family, but you get to choose your friends. And so the choice is yours, foolish friends or wise friends. There needs to be wisdom when it comes to choosing our friends. And we need to choose a faithful friend. That's what we're looking for. And this is, I believe, one of the most important verses, especially for young people. For those of you who are young adults, you need to get this. Not everybody you meet is your friend. I know you think they are, but not everybody that you meet is your friend or is going to be your friend. 
right? We live in a day where we don't even know what a friend is. We're like, oh, that's my friend over there, and this is my friend over here, and I met this person one time, and that's my friend, and this is my buddy, and this is my pal, and they follow me on Facebook, and they follow me on Instagram. That's my friend. They're not your friend. They double tap your face, but they're not your friend, right? Oh, I saw his meme on Twitter, and then I just retweeted it. We've been friends ever since, and that person looked at me. They must be my friend, and then everybody's my friend, and if everybody's your friend, then nobody's your friend because you don't actually know what a friend is. You need to find a faithful friend in your life. The goal is not for you to have 500 friends. The goal is for you to have faithful friends. The goal is not for you to have 5,000 friends. The goal is for you to have faithful friends in your life. We need to be friendly to all, but the truth is we're only gonna be friends with a few. And we need to learn to be okay with that because we're not looking for 500 friends, we're looking for faithful friends. Somebody who's gonna be there for you. Somebody who's gonna care for you. Somebody who's gonna walk with you. Somebody who's gonna pray for you. Somebody who's gonna bless you. Somebody who's gonna listen to you. When things are good, when things are bad, they're gonna be faithful to you. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for faithful friends. Be, friends with, be friendly to all, but we're really only gonna be friends with a few. The goal is not to have 500. The goal is to have faithful. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We need to find him. And that leads to the next thing is that a a wise friend is also a a rare friend. Here's what he says here. He says, Proverbs 28, 6, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man, who can find? The problem with a faithful friend is they're rare. If you have a faithful friend, text them this week, say, I love you, thank you. You're like a unicorn. I praise the Lord for you because a faithful friend is hard to find. Everybody's gonna proclaim their steadfast love. Everyone's gonna say, I'm the best I'm amazing, I'm super great, we're gonna be best friends, we're gonna be there for each other all the time. They love to proclaim their own love. But the moment things go bad, the moment things go wrong, the moment things go sideways, they're not there, you know why? Because a faithful friend is hard to find. If you have one, praise the Lord for them. Do something great this week for them. Text them, email them, buy them a book, take them out for coffee, get them dinner, do something for them. Because a faithful friend is a rare friend. It's a true treasure. It's a blessing. A a, a faithful man is hard to find. The next thing we see is this, is is an intimate friend. Proverbs 27, 8. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A wise friend is an intimate friend. Now, when I say intimate, I don't mean sex. When I say intimate, I'm not talking about friends with benefits unless you're married and then you can enjoy the benefits. But what I'm saying is this. An intimate friend is not erotic. And that's one of the problems in our culture is when we hear intimacy, we automatically think something sexual because we are so afraid of intimacy. Most people are about an inch deep because they don't let people into their hearts. And anytime we get a little sensitive, anytime we talk about something that's intimate, anytime we get vulnerable, we get very uncomfortable. But a wise friend can see past that. A wise friend can come to the very center of your heart and be able to speak life where nobody else can. That's what intimacy means. Intimacy means into me I see, that you're allowing another person to see the real you, the true you. Take your mask off and be honest. That's what intimacy means. A wise friend is an intimate friend. People who just tell you everything you want to hear, they don't love you. People just say, oh, you're so amazing. You're so awesome. You're a rock star. Never change. Guess what? You're never going to change. People who tell you what you want to hear, they don't really love you. In fact, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
An enemy will come right up to you and, and kiss you, tell you, oh, you're so amazing. But a wise friend will pull you in and say, hey, I'm gonna hurt you, not because I hate you, but because I love you. Hey, listen to me, come here. There's some things in your life that just aren't adding up with the gospel. There's some areas in your life that don't speak to the identity that Christ has for you. There's some places where there's sin, and bro, we need some repentance happening here. Can I help you with this? Can I hold you accountable to this? Hey, I love you. That's why I'm having these hard conversations with you. Not because I hate you, but because I love you. I'm bringing you close. I'm speaking into your life. I want to help you. I want to bring healing to you. I want to be your friend. That's what a wise friend does. I didn't say this in any of my other sermons, but when I first got saved, me and a couple of guys, Brandon and Courtney and my wife, Ashley, we formed a community group, and we were total idiots. We were foolish friends, but I do remember one time when me and Brandon and a couple of our friends, David and Travis, and, and we all got together, and we, we just had this moment where we confessed our sins to one another, and one of my friends says, hey, here's some areas of sin that I see all of us have. And we began to hold each other accountable and we began to read the Bible and our life began to change. I would not be here today if it wasn't for those conversations from a friend who was willing to hurt me. Changed my life. Because he was willing to say, you know what? There's some things that aren't adding up and I love you enough to be able to call you on it. That's a wise friend. Was it hard? Oh yeah. But wisdom will tell you to do hard things. Was it difficult? You bet. But wisdom will have you to do difficult things. But if you have a good friend, if you have a wise friend... You can get through it together. That's what friendship does. The next thing we see is we need an encouraging friend. Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad and sweetness of a friend comes from earnest counsel. We need encouraging friends. Let's just be honest. Life is hard. Like just getting out of bed feels like you get hit by a truck. I mean, just going to work, going to college, you're just like in oncoming traffic on I-10, bobbing and weaving between 18-wheelers and tiny cars and somebody's Mazda, and there's a dually coming this way, and you're just trying to figure out the flow of traffic because one day, soon enough, you're getting hit. I mean, between kids, between college, between work, between bills, between trying to figure out everything that we have to do in life, life is so discouraging. And so we need to be around friends who are encouraging to us, right? Some of you, you have the gift of encouragement. Hanging out with you is such a blessing. You're what 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talks about, how you just have the spiritual gift of exhorter. You're an encourager. I mean, just being around you just fills your soul. And some of you, I love you, you have the gift of discouragement, <laughs> Like some of you hang, it's like hanging out with Eeyore. Like that's exactly what it is. And you're just going to hang out and like puddle glum over there. And you're like, hey, how was life? And you're like, yesterday was bad. Well, what about today? Today was terrible. Well, what about tomorrow? Tomorrow's going to be the worst. It's going to be the worst still. I know it. It's just so bad. I got a rash. It's terrible. It's horrible. No good. Bad day. That's all it is. And you're like, God, you're so discouraging. Life is hard. We need to be around people who are going to encourage us. We need to be around people who are going to say, yeah, life is hard, but Jesus is alive. Yeah, it's difficult, but the grave is empty. We need to be around people who are saying, you have the Holy Ghost. Come on, of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you're not dead, God's not done. Come on. We need to be around people who are going to encourage us. A wise friend is an encouraging friend. And then the last thing we see... Or the next thing we see is this. A wise friend is a necessary friend. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, the people fail. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now, 
I made fun of the extroverts. Kathy, love you. Calm down. Okay, now it's time for you to make fun of you introverts. Okay, for you introverts, you're like, I don't need friends. No, not me. I don't need any friends, right? I am fine on my own. It's just me, myself, and I, and my nine cats. I don't need any friends. I got a Netflix account. I got a really good book, right? I am going to be fine on my own. I took a test. I'm INFJ. I'm a three-wing four on the Enneagram. Myers-Briggs told me I don't need any friends. Friends, this is how I spell friends, Pastor Byron. I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. That's how I spell friends. And then you're going to fail. Because without friends, we fail. Life is hard. You're going to need somebody to share it with. You weren't made to be alone, so you're going to need some friends. I don't care if you're INFJ or ENFP or JERK, whatever it is, you're going to need some friends. You're going to need somebody to share life with because marriage is hard. You need a friend. Because because life is hard, money is confusing, raising kids, oh my God, you're gonna need a friend. <laughs> and if you wanna have friends, guess what? You're gonna need to be friends. Right. If you wanna make a friend, you need to be a friend. And some of you, I love you, you come to church and you're like, nobody talks to me. I wonder why nobody talks to me. And then somebody comes and says, hey, so great to see you. You're like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> I don't know, man. I tried to be nice to you, and you're hiding in the corner. And you're just like, you just walk around. You have this look. It's like, don't talk to me. Nobody talk to me. Nobody being with me. And then we're like, nobody talks to me. Right? I wonder how come they didn't call me. Cell phones work two ways. Did you know that? Uh, that you can message people two ways. Right? And stop waiting for other people to make the first move. You can make that move yourself. Right? You gotta, if you want to make friends, you actually need to be a friend, and if you want to be a friend, you need to actually be friendly. Just something for you to pray about. Necessary friends. <laughs> and then the last thing we see is this. We see this, that a friend is dependable. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. How many times does a friend love? Five times? Seven times. One hundred times. Sometimes. When it's convenient for them, all times. A friend loves at all times. During the good times, they'll love you. During the bad times, they'll love you. Through the uh, it's okay times, they're still gonna love you. They're gonna be there for you because they are dependable. One of my favorite quotes is this, that a good friend makes the good times twice as good and the bad times half as bad. That's what a friend does. They make the good times twice as good and the bad times half as bad because a real friend, a wise friend is dependable in your life. That when things go sideways, they're still gonna be there for you. When things are difficult, they're still gonna be there for you. They're not gonna give up on you. They're not gonna walk out on you. They're still gonna love you. They're still gonna pray for you. They're still gonna bless you. Now, are they gonna be perfect? No. Are they gonna let you down sometimes? Probably but they're going to repent, they're going to reconcile, they're going to restore the relationship, work on the friendship because they're dependable people. And then the last thing we see is this, that a wise friend is a sanctifying friend. Every single man's Bible study, Bible verse, right? Every single guy has a shirt with an iron on it and it's just written in this all serif font with gray hair and it's probably brown and they get together and they drink black coffee and they quote this Bible verse. Iron sharpens iron, 
And one man sharpens one another. It's a sanctifying friend. The word sanctifying is a theological term, which means the ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus. The goal is not for you to have more and more friends. The goal is for you to have friends who make you more like Jesus. That's, that's the goal. Like iron sharpens iron. A wise friend sanctifies your life. That they're willing to be able to, to pull you in and to mold you and to shape you and to mentor you, to be able to sharpen you and ultimately to point you to Jesus because that's what a wise friend does. A wise friend isn't cheering you on when you're making bad decisions. A wise friend is not high-fiving you when you're living a life of sin. A wise friend brings you in and says, hey, buddy, knock that off. That's what a wise friend does. A wise friend is willing to beat the foolishness out of you because iron sharpens iron and wise friends sharpen one another. A wise friend is going to go to next steps with you. A wise friend is going to go to community group with you. A wise friend is going to serve one, sit one on Sundays, and that's what a wise friend does because a wise friend wants you to become more and more like Jesus. The goal is not for you to get more friends. The goal is for you to get friends who make you more like Jesus because the one who walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm in your life. You have two choices. You have foolish friends or you have wise friends, and the choice is for you to make. Now, as we're thinking about this, how many of you are you're thinking about some friends that you have? You're thinking, okay, I need to go home. I need to make some plans. I need to make some better decisions. I'm thinking about some friends that I have in my life. If so, you've missed the point because the Bible's a mirror before it's a magnifying glass. Just think about it. We are so fast to say, look at how they failed me, and we don't really think about how we failed others. We're so quick to think, well, they've let me down. Well, have you ever let anybody else down? We're so quick to think, but they robbed me or they disappointed me or they talked about me or they did this to me and what about me and they didn't love me and I can't believe that they didn't love me and what about my life? Well, what about you? It's a mirror before it's a magnifying glass. Have you been perfect, friend, to others? No. Have you been faithful? Brother loves at all times. Have you loved at all times? See, you haven't even met the qualifications to be your own friend. Quit blaming other people for letting you down. Nobody's perfect. Nobody meets the standard that the Bible sets for friendship. It's beyond us. We can't do it. Everyone has failed. Everyone has sinned against someone else. There's 8 billion people on the planet, and not one of them even meets the qualifications what the Bible says is a friend except for one person, and his name is Jesus, because Jesus is our true friend. As we're studying through the book of Proverbs, what you need to know is that wisdom is not just a proverb. Wisdom is a person. Solomon's pointing us to Jesus. So when he says things about wisdom, he's really talking to us about Jesus. So when he says something like this, the one who walks with the wise becomes wise. What he really means is this, the one who walks with Jesus will have a friend because Jesus is our true friend. And we see this in John 15, 13. Jesus comes and he enters into the world. He is that proto-evangelion, come the promise, the fulfillment of God in the flesh, reconciling friends with God, reconciling mankind to be friends with one another. And here's what Jesus says just right before his death. He says this, greater love has no one than this than for someone to lay down his life for his friends. 
There is no greater love. There is no better love. There is no perfect love. This is the greatest love. This is the greatest friend. This is the best friend. This is the true friend, the one who would lay down his life for you. And then he goes on, and this is what blows my mind. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command, then you, or we could say it another way, if you walk with me, then you will be my friends. And then he goes on, and here's what he says. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you Friends, you can be friends with God. We often think about Jesus as our Christ, as our Savior, as our Lord, as our God, as our King, as our redemption. But do you ever think about Jesus as a friend? Jesus says, hey, come here, you're my friend. Yeah, I know you've been a fool, but I'm wise. Come walk with me and I'll make you my friend. Because Jesus is our true friend. Just, just look at this, that Jesus is a faithful friend. That when he loves you, he loves you. When he saves you, he saves you. When he's faithful towards you, he's faithful towards you. Jesus is a rare friend. There's no one like him. You're never gonna find anyone like him. There's no one beside him. There's no one like Jesus. He's rare. He's an encouraging friend. He's going, come on, we have new life for you. I have a salvation for you. I have an identity for you. Come on, let's keep moving forward in this life. Let's keep going forward. I'm encouraging you. He's an intimate friend. He lives in our heart. He speaks to the most sensitive places of our soul. He renews our spirit. He knows us better than anybody else, and he still loves you. He's a necessary friend. If you want life, it's in Jesus. If you want wisdom, it's in Jesus. If you want hope, it's in Jesus. He He's necessary for your life. He's dependable. When you fail, he's not going to give up on you. When you sin, you're not going to lose your salvation. He's not going to walk out on you. He's dependable just like that. You've been sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's guaranteed that for you. And then he's a sanctifying friend. You don't have to live your old life. You can have a new one. You don't have to be that old way. You can have a new one because Jesus has come to make you a new creation, a new person. Jesus has come as our true friend. So that way we can experience life change that comes through him. Jesus is our true friend. And if you really want to blow your mind, think about this. Jesus says, I call you my friend. The same friendship Adam had in the garden, you have through the cross. The same friendship that Abraham had in Genesis chapter 9, you have through the cross of Christ. The same relationship Moses had on Mount Sinai as God met with him face to face, you have through the person of Jesus. David was a friend of God. And through Jesus, you are a friend of God. And you are a friend of God. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, Jesus says, I call you friends because here's the truth. Jesus came to make foolish people wise because he alone is the truth. We've all been foolish friends. That's why we need wisdom. We've all let other people down. That's why we need wisdom. In our life, we've been foolish friends. We need to become wise friends. And the only way we're to be able to become wise friends is if we walk with Jesus because the one who walks with the wise, 
becomes wise. If you want wisdom, you've got to walk with Jesus. But the companion of fools, they'll suffer harm. Foolish friends, wise friends, the true friend. But the choice is yours. So I told you I'd close with the story. Let me close real quick as the band comes forward. This week was our community group. It meets on Thursday nights at 6.30, and I got home at 6. I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to go. I was like, I don't want to be here. I didn't have anything cooked or prepared. I didn't go to the grocery store and pick anything up at the last minute. I walk in, Ashley's trying to pick up the house and we kind of get a little fight and we're trying to make the, get the, bed, the couch ready. We're trying to get the table prepared. We're getting all the food out and I just didn't want to be there. And as my little daughter, Esther's son, she's two years old, she started seeing us pick up. Her eyes got real big and then here's what she said. She says, our friends are coming. In that moment, I realized I was being a foolish friend because I was thinking about myself. And my two-year-old daughter had a lot of wisdom because she knew that friendship was important. She said, our friends are coming, our friends are coming, our friends are coming. And then we opened up the door and we had our Bible study, we prayed, we shared a meal. And while I was a foolish friend, I opened the door to my wife's friends. And by the end of the night, I had my sights on my true friend. Everything in my life changed because of my friendships. Here's what you need to know as you walk away. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools suffers harm. We need wisdom for our friendship, and wisdom is Jesus. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Jesus.